the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back into the Cover 3 Podcast. We are continuing our Around the Clock series with the experts from 24-7 Sports, and I'm extremely pleased to be joined now by David Lake of Inside the U, our Miami Hurricanes site on the 24-7 Sports Network. David has almost 15 years covering the Hurricanes, and I I just love talking ball with him, chopping it up whenever we're at camp. So, David, welcome to Cover 3. But good to be on with you. It's an honor to be on the Cover 3 podcast feed. RIP to Barton Simmons, but I've definitely enjoyed uh, listening to you on the podcast. It's It's always a fun show. I appreciate it, man. We, we're going to get down here to, to what the people really want to know about the Miami, Miami Hurricanes. First, we're going to put 15 minutes on the clock. I'll throw right. it on the, on the timer here. Okay, so last year, 8-3 and three for Miami. Uh, really a, a successful season in your eyes, I think, coming off COVID? I think so. I mean, in general, big picture-wise, if, if you look at it, Miami won the games they're supposed to win, I think, which is something that hadn't been happening at Miami, for being frank for the majority of the past 16, 17 years. So that was a positive step. But I do think there is a a level of disappointment because Clemson games, North Carolina game, uh, weren't close. And and those are the types of games that Miami expects to be competitive in. And so we'll see if they can take that next step here this year. I agree with you on that. It is a little bit weird to look at Bill Connolly's win expectancy chart. And most of Miami is, is bright green. And then just two of them stand out at dark red, like a 0% post-game win expectancy. Uh, that, that was, it's a little bit jarring to look at, uh, but still a, a nice step forward ahead for, for Manny Diaz's team. For the first couple of these, we had asked people, hey, what's, what's your expectation uh, for, for Miami or, or for the team they cover this year? Vegas has some numbers out already, nine and a half as the win total for the regular season. So thinking nine and three or 10 and two. I guess my first question for you then, is that fair in your opinion? I think that's the exact number, the, the correct number that it should be set at. Um, you know, again, if Miami wins all the games they're supposed to win this year, you're looking at probably a 10 and two season. If Miami drops a game that they probably shouldn't drop, which has been kind of the norm here recently for the Miami Hurricanes, then you're looking at nine and three or worse. So I think nine and five is the perfect line. And to be frank with you, from a Miami Hurricanes fan perspective, it's time to win 10 games. And so Manny Diaz is trying to take that next step with the program. It's only happened once since uh, 2004 when Miami had that magical 2017 season in which they finished 10 and three. Um, so it's been a rarity at Miami, but, but it's, it's the challenge for Manny Diaz is to try and stack 10 win seasons consistently. And we'll see if he can take that next step this year. So how do they get, to those 10 wins this year, I guess 
starting on offense, can you give us the latest on you know what you've been hearing about Derek King? He just for listeners who may not know or may not remember. Obviously, some people watched ball last year due to COVID. Some people probably didn't watch as much ball. The torn ACL, correct, in, in the bowl yep. game against Oklahoma State. So that was what late December, early January, December. I think. Yep. Yep. What What is his recovery timeline? Is he going to be able to throw with the receivers over the summer? Is he already doing that? What What are we looking at here? Yeah. So according to everyone at Miami, uh, he is ahead of schedule. And, you know, as you know, but ACL injuries aren't nearly as uh, bad in terms of the recovery time and just getting back to what they were as they used to be. And so right now, Derek is throwing from a stationary level. I do think the plan in June is to start get him, getting him doing uh, seven on seven stuff. So kind of dropping back a little bit more. And the expectation is that he will be participating in fall camp. So early August. And again, the expectation is that he will be the starter Alabama week one. Now we'll set if setbacks do happen, that, that can certainly change that timeline. But right now, everyone is expecting Derek to be good to go against Alabama game one. That, that's, that's great news for Miami. Obviously, I guess we'll, we'll shift to receiver here a little bit. W- where do you see the Miami receiver position this year? Uh, just for listeners who may not know, they took in Charleston Rambo as a transfer from Oklahoma, had a really good 2019, right? And then 2020 wasn't quite as promising, right. but still a talented guy. What, 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 are your, what are your thoughts on that room? So you could argue that the wide receiver spot will determine the ceiling of this team. Because if you go back and look at 2020, the the inability of Miami's receivers to make plays downfield is kind of what limited them against Clemson and against North Carolina, amongst other things. But Miami needs to get better play out of the wide receiver group. They are optimistic about Charleston Rambo after seeing him make plays in the spring game. He had 60 yards in the first quarter before they pulled him from that game. In the previous, uh, in the second scrimmage of the spring, he had 100 yards and a touchdown. So he was out there making plays. They feel good about him. And then people behind the scenes inside the program are confident in Keyshawn Smith, uh, who is a second-year freshman. He started the spring game for whatever that's worth. So they feel like he can be another downfield threat to pair with Rambo. And then in the slot, Mike Harley, I think a lot of people are surprised by this, but he is the top returning producer from the slot receiver position. So whatever that means, he he is one of the better slot guys coming back this year. Um, And, and, you know, Miami does return Mark Pope, D Wiggins, who were the starters last year, but I do think those guys will have a reduced role and and we'll see if Miami can make more plays downfield this year. And uh, just looking at, at stat sheet here, Last year, Mark Pope, 11.5% drop percentage. D. Wiggins, yeah. 12.1% drop percentage. I mean, it, you know, in comparison, Mike Harley, 59 Guys right. are going to drop balls. If you were dropping more than 10% of the passes that are catchable, yeah. that I, I think if you're a Miami fan or someone looking to bet on Miami this year, I think hearing that Pope and Wiggins are probably in line for a reduced role is encouraging. Um, I agree. You could argue, you know, that bowl game, that cheese it Bowl, where Derek King got hurt, right? Nikosi Perry came in, got hot, kind of led them on a little comeback. There was probably three touchdown. This is no hyperbole. Three touchdown drops between D. Wiggins and Mark Pope in that game alone. Miami ended up losing the game by less than a touchdown. So, uh, you know, I do think Mark Pope and D. Wiggins have talent. Uh, they can run, but you got to catch the ball. And, and until they prove they could do that, you know, they, they will probably have reduced roles. 
Last year, they threw a lot of balls to, to the backs out of the backfield. Actually, 25% of their receptions were, were from guys lined up in the backfield. That's one of the highest percentages in the country. Is that something that you think is something they were doing because of the problems at receiver, or do you think that's going to continue to be a feature of the offense? A little bit of both. I do think it's going to be something that maybe they look to grow with Jalen Knight, who is a second-year freshman, uh, very good route runner for a running back. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's kind of an emphasis on him in the passing game uh, against Alabama, kind of like, uh, you know, some, some gadget plays there um, because he, he can line up in the slot. They can motion him out there and he can, he can get open in that regard. So I think he's a good receiver. I think Cam Harris is a good receiver and Don Chaney Jr., who everyone at Miami is excited about in, in this year too for him. In terms of being the guy at running back, uh, he, he catches the ball of the backfield well, too. Turning to the running game here, obviously, Derek King is a part of that. I, I, I don't know, you know what the expectation is for his role in the running game in 21 compared to what it was in 20 you know, coming off the ACL. Right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, do you think they're going to be able to run him as much or are they planning to dial it back? Or Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I will say this if you watch Miami, they really don't use, or he wasn't used to being used in a zone read type of role. So while he does run a lot, it's more, it's mainly more as a scrambler. And so I don't know if you can necessarily predict, is he going to scramble less, scramble more? Um, you know, that they do want that running threat there, but in game one against Alabama, I don't know if it's necessarily smart to put him in those positions. Um, but, but we'll see. I, it's hard to answer now, you know, not knowing what his health will be at that point. For sure. Uh, last year, this run game, and I, I promise we'll get to defense in a second, and I, I just know it us, we're probably going to go into overtime here. Last year, the run game was, if you look at like their average per carry, it was very strong. And part of that was because they had a ton of, of huge runs. They're, they were one of the teams that had a tremendous explosive rate and then on a down-to-down consistency rate, it wasn't you know quite as good, like 95th, 88th and that, but they were top 25 in rushing explosiveness. How much improvement are you, are you expecting from the backs, but also from this offensive line, which has been getting a lot of love in the preseason, it looks like, from some yeah. of the magazines? Yeah, I mean, uh, Miami was very frank th- this spring that they wanted their offensive line to be more impactful in the run game, more physical up front. They returned their top eight guys from the offensive line last year, um, and it they – they are really encouraged by Navon Donaldson's return from a knee injury. He was out last year. He is their biggest, strongest dude on the offensive line, 6'6", 350 pounds. So they feel like if they insert him as the starting right guard, which he had been previous to last year's injury, uh, that will help the run game. They also feel good about Jalen Rivers, a second-year freshman, another guy that's physically gifted, 6'5", 330, can get push up front too. Zion Nelson getting a lot of first-round love. I mean – We'll see. I I need. I was going to ask you about that. Like, when you watch him, does he pop as like a no doubt first rounder, or is it just he has tools that could be? To me, it's more tools at this stage. Uh, But he is on a on a optimistic trajectory, right? So you can see it. If he keeps improving, I could see it. But as of right now, do I see first round pick? No. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a veteran offensive line, probably the best Miami offensive line since. 2013, 2012. So it is going to be a strength of the team, which is funny to say about Miami because that's rarely the case in recent years. 
in fact, in recent years, where we're going to go now has been the strength for the most part, which was the defensive line, getting a lot of tackles for loss, you know, pressure. I know there were some games where, where the defense was was disappointing, but for the most part, it was still a – yeah. Bill Connolly has him as, as like a top 30-ish yeah. level defense. that they, they, they caused a lot of havoc last year, and they lose a lot of guys to the NFL. Where, where are you confident they'll, they'll replace, and, and where, are you, uh, where are you maybe a little more skeptical? Kind of in wait and see mode, to be honest. I I don't feel I, I feel better about the edge spot than I did before the spring because after watching DeAndre Johnson, the Tennessee transfer in the spring game, you know, do I think he's a dynamic edge guy like they had last year in Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche? No. Do I think he's a guy that might be drafted in like the seventh or sixth round? Yeah, I think he could be that guy. I think he'd be a guy that gets close to that eight sack mark in Miami's defense. Uh, the other edge spot to me, we'll see. You know, Jafari Harvey has tools, but he's got to put it all together. I like what they have at D tackle. Nesta Silvera, one of the more disruptive interior guys. I think Leonard Taylor, as rare as it is for a true freshman to come in and make an impact at defensive tackle, I think he's that special. I think he could. Uh, emerge as that guy during the course of the season. But to, but really the, the weak spot of the defense is linebacker. And, and that showed last year during those blowout losses when they faced good running backs, Travis Etienne, Clemson, Javante Williams, and Michael Carter at, at North Carolina. They did whatever they wanted. A lot of it was due to poor, it was also, it was poor defensive line play and linebacker play. And uh, you know, We'll see. Honestly, I, I don't know if they have answers at linebacker right now. I think if a option enters the portal, they would love to pounce and make a move. Um, but we'll see. It seems like they really are trying to go all in on you know making this season a, a special season with some of the portal additions, you know, some some one year guys, but also some guys who you know have that really high upside. And I think it makes sense when you have when you have King. Has Manny Diaz and, and company have they talked about tackling? At all, I, I just I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this because I'm looking at the stat sheet here, trying to remember what I watched last year. Some of the tackling numbers were like bottom ten, yeah. bottom fifteen in the country. Is that is that accurate to what you saw on, on a week to week basis in those games? So the North Carolina game, one of the worst tackling performance of the Manny Diaz defensive era, and that Clemson game wasn't far behind it. Now, is part of it due to playing against really good running backs? Sure. But, but it was still unacceptable. And like you said, you know, Miami's defense outside of those two games was above average. Um, but Miami's goal is to compete for things that, that are meaningful. And so uh, the performances in those games were unacceptable. And, and Manny made changes to the defensive staff largely because of that North Carolina game, if we're being honest. Who is the, uh, who's the new DC down there? It's Manny. Manny's going to be the play caller as the head coach. Um, He's excited about it. So, and, and I think it's a good move. Um, I think he can handle it. Brett Lashley's kind of the head coach of the offense, if you will. And, and Manny's going to run things on defense. It's, it's a whole new staff. The only guy that returns is Jonathan Patkey, but even he is switching from coaching the striker hybrid role to the inside linebackers. So uh, wholesale changes, which Manny did on offense the previous year and it worked. So we'll see if it works on defense this year. You know, so there may not be continuity of, of voice in, in terms of who's there coaching wise. You do expect to be pretty much continuity of scheme, though, since what, yeah. what Blake Parker was running was similar to what Manny same scheme. To run. It was really it was Manny's defense, if we're being real, that Blake was running. Um, but yeah, I mean, now the players have to be accountable 
on the defensive side to the head coach as well. And so we'll see if that makes a difference. All right, we're going to throw this thing to overtime, just a couple more here. So they get Tyreek Stevenson to come home, five, yeah. former five-star defensive back at, out of Miami, went to Georgia, wasn't a bad player for Georgia by any stretch. And I, I don't know exactly the reasons why he bounced from Georgia, considering they're already pretty thin in the secondary. Miami's got to be pretty excited, right? Yes, very excited. They, they feel like they have their quote-unquote shutdown corner, right? Um, and, and quite frankly, I am high on the secondary this year. I think Tyreek, you know, I think he has the talent to be a top two round guy. He showed that in the spring game, looked really good. I think DJ Ivy, you know, he's not a shutdown corner, but he's a solid number two corner. And then their safety pairing, the one I project as being the starting pair, I think could be one of the better ones in the ACC, if not the country, and Bubba Bolden and Avante Williams, who really took a step forward as a second year freshman this spring. Manny Diaz, uh, went out of his way to compare Avante's performance in the spring to Jalen Phillips, just kind of the way he, uh, you know, stepped up out of nowhere and, and kind of made himself known as a big time player during the spring. So that's some big time talent on the back end. It's going to be the strength of the defense. I think. I have to ask you now about the special teams because last year Miami's, they were an interesting mix by far the best punting game in the entire country. I mean, it wasn't yeah. even close to who was number two. It was just ridiculous. Uh, and a top 10 field goal kicking game, you know, despite some of the weather conditions, good kickoff game as well. Weirdly horrible kick return and not that great yes. punt return uh, last year. Is the punter back? Lou Headley's back and, and the younger Borregales, so true freshman Andres Borregales is the kicker. So Jose won the, uh, the Groza Award last year, and his younger brother's taking over now. Highly touted kicker at a high school. He looked good in the spring game, but as you know, kickers, you don't know till the, till the lights are on, lights are bright, and you're playing a game. So I think the specialists are good. The return game, to me, is a question mark. They got to get more out of that. Uh, and they do have options in the spring. They were going with Tyreek Stevenson at punt returner, which I don't know how I feel about, to be quite frank, but they did add some true freshmen that I think have some ability there in Brashard Smith and Malik Curtis, who, who returned at a high level in high school. Again, are you going to trust freshman game one Alabama in that role? Probably not. Um, but they do need to get more out of those returns, uh, particularly punt return. Yeah, I, I think the field position game, they were gaining so much every time they kicked off and especially every time they punted, which is weird to say, but like they were – and yeah. some of these people were starting not a full first down back from, from average, but it was damn near close, which is a huge yeah. advantage to a defense. If they can just get a little more out of the return game, that could be the difference in some of these, these closely yeah. contested games for sure. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think Lou Headley, interestingly, I think he set an NCAA record for net punt yardage, which I had no idea, honestly, until Miami tweeted it out. Yeah, if you look at the graph, it's like they're so far ahead of the number two team. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in punt efficiency, that was uh, that was kind of kind of stood out to me. Should they be the favorite in the coastal? No, I think North Carolina should be. If we're being fair, just you know, judging by how last year's game went, I do think you know North Carolina was the better team last year. But there is some context that I think pr explains why it was such a blowout from Miami's side of things. They were coming off a three-week layoff from dealing with COVID. I've heard people from people inside the program that up to 60 players, staffers, coaches 
we're dealing with COVID stuff um, oh, during like that. positives, not just like 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 I don't know close if contact. Right, I don't know what it is. I assume positives, but you know, I I think the point is when they played North Carolina, they were burnt out. There was a, a lethargy to them, and I think it showed on the field. Now, it wouldn't have changed the result, I don't think, um, but the blowout factor I think c- could be due to how they were just burnt out from from that at that stage of the year. So that's a key game. And Miami gets 15 days to prepare for that game. So, um, you know, North Carolina plays Florida state, uh, that week off that Miami has, and then they got to play Miami. So, you know, the schedule sets up nicely for, for Miami this year. If you're going to play Alabama, in my opinion, this year, why not take your swings game one, North Carolina, the other key game on the schedule, you get 15, 16 days to prepare for them. Absolutely. David Lake, Inside the U. Follow him at 247Canes on Twitter. Become a VIP member at Inside the U. It's just awesome content. They do a tremendous job recruiting and and team coverage and and have been a market leader, well, the market leader for forever. Really glad to have you on Cover 3 for Around the Clock. Guys, appreciate it. Thank you, bud. outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.